But now we'll get into the final topic of today's episode, which is some high some comments coming out of high-level Russian officials, which hint at a coming Russian offensive. And I, I talked a little bit about this early on when I brought up uh, uh, when I brought up the uh, dang. <laughs> Uh, right, right, right. Russia, when they were <laughs> increasing their military size to 70%, I just blanked completely right there. But yeah, I brought up Russia increasing the size of their military spending by 70%. <clears throat> by 70%. I also mentioned it when I talked about you, the UK sending military advisors to Ukraine and how they're going to get blown up when the Russian offensive starts. Uh, but yeah, especially with that increase of 70% in the Russian military budget, because we've seen what the military budget they have already has been getting them and how they've been outproducing all of NATO in every aspect of military production, except for planes. And that's honestly, in my opinion, because they just haven't tried. They just haven't tried. They just outproduce. We spend three quarters of a trillion dollars on our military to get outproduced by a country with half our population. And uh, 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 what, a fifth of our budget? An eighth of our budget? How much did they spend? A hundred and something? We'll, we'll look it up. Because <laughs> they're, they're going to spend 70% more. It, we've seen what the Russians have been able to get. The ridiculous bang for their buck. Because they don't spend $750 billion on their, their military. Russian military budget yeah and they've they've outproduced us in artillery we're running out of artillery we ran out of artillery 155 millimeter artillery shells we ran out they're still going they have million they're they're putting up twenty thousand a day and casually forty thousand if they're in high intensity conflict it's it's crazy it's crazy Mm -mm. like they have uh it's 10.78 trillion in rubles, but in dollars, it's 109 billion. 109 billion is what the Russians spend on their defense budget. Mm. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Oh, wait. Wow. That's, that's actually, am I looking at the right number here? Because a uh, hundred, that's what they plan on spending. Okay. Next year, or then I'll send a plan exposure. Wow. They're planning to spend 109 billion rubles next year. And they're gradually working up to 36.6 trillion because they're, they're at 10 point, uh, they're basically 11 trillion rubles now. And that's the key here. They want to get to 36.6 trillion rubles in their expenditure. So they're going uh they're going for the 10.8 trillion rubles now for next year's budget, which is equivalent to 109 billion. They're moving up to 109 billion. So they weren't even at 100 billion before. They weren't even at 100 billion before. They want to spend around 160 billion. Uh, that that's where they're trying to get to, and then perhaps even further beyond. Their sub 
a hundred billion for basically every year before the war began. They were spending less than a hundred billion USD on their military before the war began. Their 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 increase in the military budget is getting them above the hundred billion mark. And that's insane. This is an insane bang for the buck. So when we get into these comments, just think about that. Just chew on that while we talk about what these statements made imply. They're trying to double the, the military budget when they're already outproducing us. And understand that that increase in the budget is going to come with equivalent increases in military production and equipment, whereas we spend eight times what they're spending, what they're planning on spending right now. We're spending eight times that much and we can't get reciprocal uh, production of equipment and ammunition. We don't have the industry anymore. We don't have the industry anymore. They do. So as they increase their budget, they're going to start producing more and it's just going to completely outpace anything we have. <clears throat> people talk about people talk about oh we have to fight you fight Russia and Ukraine so we can deter China. How? What what are you deterring by running out of 155 millimeter artillery shells? What are you deterring by spending up a third of your HIMARS ammunition? What are you deterring when you're sending cluster munitions to Ukraine? What are you deterring when you're doing that? You're not deterring anything when you've exhausted your arsenals, your stockpiles of weapons so badly that you have to get an infusion of half a million shells from South Korea to cover the loss. You're not deterring anything. You're you're just an idiot. Because I, I, I listen to the Republican debates ju just, just to see what the, the future <laughs> looks like because, you know, Trump can't be there forever and we unfortunately might end up with one of those people as our president but they're talking about oh we have to defend we have to defend ukraine to send a message to china china but i'm like you ran out of 155 millimeter artillery shells in an artillery war the russians are outproducing you in every aspect of military production but just looking at what we're expending how are you deterring china by running out of weapons that you would otherwise fight them with. How are you deterring them? If I, that's like me, that's like me shooting a man, emptying my clip into him so that I can deter the next robber. It's like, well, the second he realizes that the clip is empty and I'm, I'm gonna make sure he knows that the clip is empty, I'm gonna give everything I've got. It's like I'm being jumped by two robbers. I Two robbers are invading my home. I see one. I shoot him so I can protect my uh, Ukraine, and we'll just say Ukraine is my family in the background. And the, the free world, uh, there we go, the, the free world is in the background, you know? I'm gonna shoot one guy, I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna keep shooting him. I'm not gonna shoot the other one. I'm gonna keep shooting the one guy until I run out of bullets in my clip. Because that'll send a message to the second guy. No, idiots. The second guy's going to shoot you now because he knows there's no threat. You don't have any more ammunition. He's going to go and do what he wants with impunity in your house because you can't do jack diddly or squat to him now. What are we deterring? I I can't stand these people. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't stand these people.
it's uh it's ugh. but i'll digress i'll digress we, let's get into these statements right well i just want i just wanted to cover that while it was fresh in my mind it popped up in my mind and it's i i, f- I have a feeling it'll be relevant a little later on when we as we go further into political season but yeah it's so dumb so dumb unbelievably dumb i can't wait for maga to take over these people uh, they sicken me <laughs> they give me headaches no, i'll say that but yeah these high-level russian officials we'll start with dmitry medvedev because he's made a number of statements alluding to the potential annexation of more ukrainian territory in one in one such comment he said quote the special military operation in ukraine he's talking about the special military operation will continue until the complete destruction of the nazi regime in kiev and the liberation of originally russian territories from the hands of the enemy end quote those are some big words those are some big statements we're gonna destroy the nazi regime in ukraine complete destruction mind you not just the military of ukraine not just the ukrainian armed forces no we're going to destroy the regime in kiev and then we're going to liberate originally russian territories well depending on how you define the term originally russian one could categorize i don't know all of ukraine as originally russian i mean you have not just the soviet union for whatever reason people people tend to forget that the russian empire existed uh before before like hundreds of years before the soviet union like this territory was part of the Russian Empire before the Soviet Union. So you have centuries of history, and that's not even counting the Kievan Rus, which was a Russian state. So again, defend, depending on how you define the term originally Russian territories, you could cla- you could easily categorize all of Ukraine as that and cite multiple periods in history where that would be the case. You could make that case. So this is, this has really broad potential implications, just that statement alone. And again, this is alarming. Not alarming as in, oh, we're in danger now in America. No, no. It's alarming because throughout this entire war, I've sort of been sort of off in this corner <laughs> where I'm the only one saying that I think the war is going to end with a total annexation of Ukraine. Not because the Russians necessarily wanted it to, to go that way, but because... You know they they kind of needed to to accomplish their goals and i'll talk about that in a minute but there was i was well aware that i was the fringest of fringes in the way i thought this war was going to end now we have medvedev making statements like this and it's like well okay that's a massive step closer to where i am now let's hold on now let's let, let's let's settle down let's let's not <laughs> let's let's not be barbarians about this you know let's let's you know um there's no need to come all the way over here no <laughs> whoa whoa let's hold our horses <laughs> i'm kind of on the fringe here let's let's not walk over to my position <laughs> but that's a massive step towards my position you, you see that is a massive step towards the things that i say and how i believe this is gonna end but and <clears throat> that's not all he said in another comment he said quote victory will be ours and more new regions will join russia end quote victory will be ours more new regions will join russia how many regions 
how exactly is victory being defined here? Again, these are vague enough to where you could say, yeah, they're going to take all of Ukraine. And that's what's shocking here. Because you have this guy, Medvedev, who's no small figure in Russian politics. He's basically alluding to taking a lot, a lot of Ukraine's territories. At the very least, the, the, the Russian speaking parts of it. And that's just our assumption because it's not like he's specified that. He says originally Russian territories. Okay, well, how do you define that? Uh, well, we're, we're going to annex more territories. We're going to we're going to annex more more regions of Ukraine will join Russia. Victory will be ours. OK, well, what are the victory conditions and how many territories? As a matter of fact, what territories specifically are you looking at adding to the Russian Federation? No answer. It, these answers are so vague that you could throw in the entirety of Ukraine and these they would still be. You these statements would still stand. And the fact that we even at this point where we have to speculate because before it was very measured. It was, yeah, we've taken these territories. We're settled. Yeah. We're, we're going to take Kharkov and Odessa and maybe Odessa, you know, it was much more limited. We're going to destroy the Ukrainian military, denazify, demilitarize, et cetera. It was okay. But now the scope of what you can, the scope of how you can interpret these statements can go all the way to where my position is. And that's what's shocking. Because I am well aware that I am the fringest of fringes in my assessment of where I think this is going to go. There is no reason they should be coming over to my position. You understand? This, is, But that's where this is going. And it's not just Medvedev. Because during a TASS interview, TASS is a, a Russian news agency, uh, damn near banned over here. But <coughs> courtesy of ground news, I'm able to get to them. Uh, thank goodness. Although they had the little Russian flag and it's like, oh, this is a Russian source. Well, okay, sure. The B and the BBC is a, a state-run British news source. But we don't put British flags over, but whatever. Uh, the, but during a TASS interview, when asked uh, if conditions for talks were likely, Sergey Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, Sergey Lavrov said when he was asked if the conditions for talks were likely. He said he doesn't see any uh, any conditions where the talks would be likely, saying, quote, the West is obviously testing us for willingness to accept its terms. Uh, he, later on in this same statement, he says, quote, they want to take a break for a few months without signing any agreement. Except a temporary ceasefire in order to gain time and pump more weapons into Ukraine in addition to what has already been sent. He continues by saying, quote, we see through their plans and that we are ready for talks and will consider any realistic proposal, but it is out of the question to impose a ceasefire during talks because they already used this trick to deceive us once. Uh, and I'll end the quote there before I continue, because he's obviously talking about Minsk too. He's obviously talking about Minsk one. He's obviously talking about shoot uh, the unofficial Minsk three agreement where they Russian Ukraine had those draft treaties, and Russia pulled back from the north as a, as a symbol, a gesture of goodwill, 
as a part of those treaties. It was stipulated in the treaties that they would do that as a, a symbol of goodwill for they, so they could continue the talks for peace. And this is right after the war starts, mind you. So this war could have been over in April, May, or June of 2022 if the talks just took that long. But fewer people would have died. Ukraine would objectively have more territory than it does now. And there would not be the threat of NATO membership for Ukraine. And with those treaties, mind you, Ukraine would have had security guarantors in United States, France, Britain, uh, Russia, China, and I think Turkey. Basically, free NATO membership without being in NATO. Because these countries are going to guarantee your independence. You get NATO membership, you get CSTO membership, you get whatever China's alliance <laughs> might end up being called. You become a protectorate of China. That, that's a square deal. Turn it down. So, and, the, and these are obviously the things that he Lavrov is referring to when he says that they've already tried this trick before. So there's he's open to talk. Russia's open to talks, but they have to be realistic, and there's not going to be a ceasefire occurring while you're in the middle of talks. You're going to do the talks while active combat is still going on, and the active combat isn't going to stop until we reach an agreement for an, a proper armistice, like an actual end of the war. No ceasefires. An actual treaty is the only way the war ends. And we can negotiate that treaty, but there's we're not going to have a ceasefire while we're negotiating that treaty because you can't be trusted. And that's the problem with not honoring your obligations and thinking that you can pull one over on the other guy every time and now they're calling your, your they're calling you on your bullshit and they don't like that but yeah so he, that's what he says uh where the all right he he also dismissed the uh, zelensky peace plan uh as unrealistic so that's off the table and we've gone over why like i i've broken down the peace plan namely that russia's never going to consent to being tried as criminals for a war that nato expansion started mind you for a war that the overthrow of ukraine's government started because ultimately the russo-ukrainian war is an outgrowth of the donbass war for independence which itself occurred because the west overthrew ukraine's government in 2014 and installed Nazis. And the Donbass, Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republics, they declared independence and then fought a war for independence against Ukraine for eight years before Russia intervened on the side of the people who were being oppressed by literal Nazis. So there's no way that they're going to consent to being treated as war criminals for, with that as the context. There's no way they're, they're, they're going to consent to that. There's no way that they're going to withdraw all troops from Ukrainian territory and then negotiate for peace, which is what has been floated around lately, uh, especially back when the counteroffensive first started, where, oh, they're just going to, they have to withdraw all their troops and then we can talk. Well, what are you going to talk about at, at that point? Oh, the terms of war reparations from Russia that they're not going to give you? Like, what are you going to talk about at that point? It's... <coughs> We went over that, we went over uh, the UN, 
And there were a lot of other things in Zelensky's peace plan that I've broke down extensively in the episode where I talked about Zelensky's peace plan. Um, I have since forgotten <laughs> a lot of what those stipulations were, but yeah, go back to that episode and you'll you'll get you'll get a lot uh, more info out of that one than you will out of me right now because I just have voided all that from my mind. But look, I, I went in depth as to why it's unrealistic. Lavrov is dismissing it as unrealistic. You want to know why? Go back and watch that episode. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work. I trust myself enough to know <laughs> that when I said it wasn't going to work, I was honest. But yeah, so he dismissed that as unrealistic. So you can't be, they're not going to have talks about the Zelensky peace plan. Uh, so that's off the table. They're going to have to come up with a new plan. And there's not going to be a ceasefire where you're having talks either. So, one, you're going to need a new plan, a new formula for getting peace with the Russians. Uh, none of this trading land for NATO membership, that's out the window already. And, yeah, it's everything the West is proposing as potential peace plans is already null and void. Precisely because, as I went out of my way to state, they're unrealistic. You can't make demands from the guy who's beating your ass. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. They're occupying 20% of your territory. They sat there, dug in. You've launched this massive offensive, wave after wave after wave of men, just to get uh, gobsmacked, mollywopped, so to speak, by Russian artillery and minefields and machine guns and, and bombs you're losing. You have lost hundreds of thousands of men. 300,000 on the low end with that obituary account. 600,000, well, 300,000 dead, which means 600,000 on the low end because they're the deaths make up half of Ukraine's casualties. So if you have 300,000 obituaries from this war alone, and these are military obituaries, that means you have 600,000 casualties on the low end. And you have people like Douglas McGregor, Scott Ritter putting the number at basically 800,000, because they say the 400,000 are dead. RFK Jr. said 350,000 were dead. Deaths make up half the casualties. That means 700,000, 800,000 deaths, and that was weeks ago. I wouldn't be surprised if the next time we get a number coming out of their mouths, they're saying half a million are dead, which would mean that a million are casualties. It's you do not have a million casualties, take no land, lose all your equipment in these offensives, get outproduced by the Russians, and only only inflict about 100,000 casualties on the Russians, probably like 120, 160,000 at this point, casualties on the Russians, with loss, with a kill to loss ratio like that, you're not in a position to demand anything. You should, you're in a position to beg. But they haven't accepted that. They're making demands from the people who are uh, mass murdering them on the battlefield. Uh, it's just there are only so there are only so many ways I can put it. You can't make demands, and you certainly can't propose a peace plan where the Russians are the ones who are going to be punished. No, they won the war. They beat you. You cannot then say that they have to be the ones to be tried as criminals in an international court 
No, you lost. So you have to make a proposal from the pers- from the position of someone who has lost a war. You need to come at this from the perspective of loss mitigation, not we want all our territory back. Well, you're not going to get that. So what can you get is what you should be saying, not we're going to get everything and you're going to accept this. It's it's unrealistic. So you have Medvedev saying what he said. You have Lavrov saying these things. So no ceasefire, no talks, because Russia's not going to agree to Zelensky's peace formula, and an open discussion about overthrowing the Ukrainian government by Medvedev and taking more land than Medvedev. But the only way you're going to depose a Nazi regime and retake originally Russian territories, as as Medvedev says, the only way you're going to do that is if you take it, all of it. Like you want historically Russian land, you have to take it. You want to denazify Ukraine, demilitarize Ukraine, you have to take that. You you have to at least take Kiev, and then you can begin denazifying Ukraine, because uh, you have to take the head of their government if you want to do that. And the only way that happens is if Russia goes on the what, the offensive. And this is yet another thing that I speculated would eventually have to happen way back when the war first began. I made the case, and I've continued to make the case, uh, that Russia would have, they would have to conquer just about all of Ukraine in order for the war to end. I I said this circumstance will push them to that. uh, And I've made that case because when I looked at what Russia's stated war aims were, because they put it out there very publicly, demilitarization of Ukraine, denazification of Ukraine, uh, and that's namely what I focused on. There was another, there was another uh, thing that they wanted, but I'm, I'm blanking on it at the moment. But specifically, the denazification and the demilitarization of Ukraine. Just looking at those two, because this is what I based my speculations off of anyway. Just looking at those, I, I said, well, if this is what, you, if this, if these are what your war aims are. Uh, I looked at it and I concluded that the only way you could achieve these goals would be either through the unconditional surrender of Ukraine, which hasn't happened and likely isn't going to happen, or the total conquest and occupation of Ukraine. Those are the only two ways you're going to achieve that because you you can't take, uh, what, uh, Luhansk and Donetsk and then claim to be denazifying Ukraine. You, that No one would believe you. And honestly, you wouldn't be able to believe yourself if you said that. You would have to take over at least Kiev, which would mean marching halfway through Ukraine. You'd have to at least take the capital to even make the claim that you're denazifying Ukraine. And with regards to demilitarization, well, sure, you can achieve a lot of that on the battlefield, which they're doing right now. But ultimately, if you want to demilitarize it, you have to basically defeat them in the war and then impose that on them but then you have to enforce that which would mean effectively an occupation of the entire country at least for a temporary period of time so half or more of ukraine would have to be taken by russia in order for them to even theoretically achieve these stated aims denazification demilitarization and needless to say if you want to do that you have to go on the offensive for that and now that we are in a post-Ukraine offensive world where Ukraine has exhausted their supply of heavy equipment like tanks and armored vehicles, just, and they're rapidly running out of ammunition. And since we've given them so much without the production to back it up, we can't resupply them 
anymore. Not really. Not with anything meaningful. So they're rapidly running out of ammunition and just about everything else. Now, as we go into the winter and the rainy seasons and the Russians are going to sit there and continue to bombard Ukraine. And unfortunately, Ukraine continues to attack. And I hope that they're smart enough not to do that in the mud when it was bad enough, when the, the ground was sturdy underneath them. But we're, as we go into the, the rainy season and the winter, the attritional warfare will continue to grind away at Ukraine and we cannot replenish them anymore. And we talked about uh, the lack of replenishment when we discussed why a long war in Ukraine just isn't going to happen and why it's unrealistic as well. But we're looking at the inevitable on the horizon now because Ukraine is exhausted and they're only going to, their situation can only deteriorate from this point on because we no longer have the ability to resupply them. NATO no longer has the ability to resupply them. So in that environment where they are now going to start to dwindle and dwindle more and more and the Russians have, are just sitting there watching them fade away the inevitable starts to be seen on the horizon. And that inevitable, that inevitability, I should say, is the Russian backbreaker offensive that I've talked about since, well, the winter of last year when I thought that they were, they were going to do a winter offensive. They, instead, they took their time. And now it looks like the backbreaker offensive is on the horizon. Almost two years of fighting, a depleted Ukrainian and NATO arsenal, a million men mobilized, and after all this time, fully trained now, or or at the very least, properly trained, and a Ukraine that's scraping the barrel for additional money and manpower. Zelensky is now going on another begging tour throughout uh, the West, and he walks away with chump change all that the writing is on the wall the writing is on the wall but the question now is very simple who will read it you know we will but will the ukrainians will the u.s read it will europe read it Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But that, my lovely listeners, is all I've got for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. The world's changing. The backbreaker offensive is coming. But no matter what happens, we will have fun watching that change together. Now, I've been your host, Haishan Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So, till we meet again next Monday... Servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.